filled with interesting observations about my life. All I have is my Facebook, which has lots of selfies with my wife and dumb and inane observations like this one in my memories from nine years ago. The really, really brilliant and poignant rehearsal, then work, sleep, rehearsal, then work. Very deep, those uh, ponderances I have. <laughs> so that's what I'll be leaving behind for the universe, <laughs> unfortunately, when I pass away. They'll say Matt was a busy guy. That's right. Uh, yeah, because I've got... Here's, here's, here's another one from uh, seven years ago that says, I know that it is totally the wrong night, but I'm closing the bar tonight. So stop being bored and come in for a drink. There you go. That's what I'm leaving behind for the world, for the universe to remember about me. When they asked his brother, he just said, "Wake up and tap." <laughs> exactly. Well, my name is Matt. Welcome to the show. I'm coming to you from Austin, and coming to you from Houston is my brother Ken. Say hello, Ken. Live long and prosper. There you go. Well, I keep checking the numbers and the stats, and uh, surprisingly, people keep tuning in. So uh, we must be doing something right, I know. Uh, I like this new format that we're doing. I might even push this new format into the uh, show, doing a little less of the recap, a little more of the talking, and uh, filling in the recap as we go, so to speak. You know, it's also interesting because we, uh, since we, we usually have a nice backlog of episodes that we've already recorded in case things go wonky and somebody needs to work or someone gets married or whatever happens and we need a good backlog going we got that so we don't usually get to talk about the of the moment news that's happening in the world of star trek so of course we uh haven't even mentioned on the show or talked about the new picard series that's coming up that's going to be really cool don't you think it is it it uh you know it's Patrick Stewart has typically not attached himself to stuff that isn't really good. You know, I watched a really good video the other day, basically saying, you know, a lot of the things that people criticize about The Last Jedi don't make any sense in terms of criticisms of, you know, characterizations of the fans. Oh, the fans don't like a female rising to the next generation. They don't like it when the hero has become dark and cynical. They don't like it when the, the place that the character's in is so different from the last place we saw him. It's a, too much of a jump. The audience doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. And they were talking, of course, about Logan, which features some serious Patrick Stewart. And the, the argument in the video is that Logan was really w- well written. The mm-hmm. characters were fully developed. This was a good piece of cinema and it involves all these very similar tropes in terms of 
you know, Luke versus Logan and the girl and the other girl. And you've got the old master who kind of chimes in every now and then from the back seat or wherever Yoda is. And that, that Star Trek, and this is our Star Wars, and this is, a, I think, a problem Star Wars has always labored with, is that out of all the things, it's not as well written as it is the, the world building or the cinematography or how cool it is or these other things. Writing uh-huh. is not a super strong suit. And I think that was a you know, really good analysis, right? That, right? In fact, fans did accept Logan. And they were arguing the reason is it was well-written. The characters were more fully fleshed out. And, of mm-hmm. course, Patrick Stewart has some cool stuff to do in terms of I'm the, I'm the old, you know, uh, Charles Xavier now. So I'm thinking that if Patrick Stewart has decided this is something he wants to do, it's because it's going to be good. It's going to be interesting. It's not because he's hard up for cash or bored. Or- <laughs> right. You know, they brought on, uh, you know, uh, a pretty famous author to help build the story and build the characters. So that's cool. Uh-huh. Now, speaking of documentaries watched, I watched a really cool one on YouTube by a uh, channel calling itself Midnight's Edge. And uh, it was a really well-researched documentary talking about, pretty much talking about discovery and how it fits into the continuity. Or... What is not continuity? Because here's what it, here's basically what he goes on to say: this is that with the breakup between Viacom and Paramount, right, or the two Viacoms of that Paramount, then right. Paramount has can do whatever it wants with the movie universe. But basically, its license says that it has to be a certain degree different from what we know of Star Trek already. A number being tossed around is that it has to be twenty five percent different. Uh-huh. So that's why we get in JJ Trek, you know, the newer, you know, everything's different. The 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 costumes are slightly different. The Enterprise looks different. The shape of the Enterprise is different. And so, because of that license, it consists in what now is being considered the, not just the Kelvin, but the prime continuity now, right? Then you know they decide, hey, we're going to go in. We're going to make Discovery. And we've had such good luck with these bad robot people. Let's bring the bad robot people in as well. So because of where everything was sitting with the the timeline, they basically had to make this version. I'm missing a key point to this now. But they basically had to make this version also 25% different from the original series canon as well. Uh Partially, this is due to merchandising, because all the other merchandising hasn't really worked. The movie merchandising from The Next Generation hasn't worked. The only thing that that is selling, uh, as far as merchandising goes, is original series stuff. Whenever they put right. out any original series stuff, that stuff sells like crazy. And Rikers and Picards and stuff don't sell nearly as well. Or, you know, go down the line to your Cisco's and, and everything else. So, so they, So, obviously, you know, CBS, in that respect... And Viacom don't want to lose. They want to be able to produce all that merchandise. So basically now what we're looking at is is that because Bad Robot's involvement now with Kurtzman and Bad Robot itself are part of Discovery and will be part of the the, uh, Picard series as well, 
that it's actually kind of falling under the timeline of the movie continuity, even though that hasn't been officially announced. But that's why, again, everything is sort of, you know, 25% different and there are, you know, these changes being made. This is also why we're not going to be able to see any original Next Generation characters in the Picard show. Unless, yes, unless any of the other Viacom, you know, unless the two Viacoms finally come together and then they don't care anymore. But, yeah, which I imagine has to happen at some point when when they realize that there's really only one living track and you don't want it to be some kind of wacky alternate timeline that the fans were ambivalent about. You yeah. kind of want to bring it back and go, oh no, we're really actually in the main timeline. Right. It's just different because, well, Star Trek always changed things. They changed the Klingons from the TV show to the movies. They changed yep. the look of the Enterprise. They changed the uniforms both when they went to the movies and then between Star Trek The Motion Picture and Wrath of Khan. Yep. And so it's not like Star Trek doesn't have a certain amount of, you know, we're going to change the aesthetic just because we got a good, we got some money, yay! <laughs> <laughs> right. So you know, I, I, I don't think they have to stick with, oh, well, we've made changes. We're stuck with some kind of alternate timeline thing. Right. You know, I, I watched uh, one of the extras on, I think it was on StarTrek.com, about Jay Frakes being, you know, directing, what was it, the second episode? Yep. And, you know, he's got Marina Sirtis on the set, and he's introducing her to everybody. And, you know, it's just hard to imagine that, like, these guys don't want to do an episode. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, and, and that you couldn't do a uh, Picard meets Vosh again on Risa. Picard bumps into Rice uh, to Riker, and they have a little adventure together. Right. Uh, you know, Picard goes to uh, Starbase Twelve to teach an archaeology class, and who does he meet there but Jordy LaForge? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and you know this kind of a thing where, given enough episodes. And obviously you'd want to do some Picard by himself. Otherwise, it's a Picard and friends. You know, it's almost like the Carol Burnett show. Right. <laughs> you don't want it to have too many guest stars. But you do kind of want to have everybody come back. I mean, if they yeah. want to do an episode, why not do a cool episode? That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I exactly. think people would be drawn to. Uh, oh, catch us up. Where is everybody? Yep. Well, so it'll be interesting to see because, you know, there was the whole, like, people who got knocked out of CBS uh, and his crew, they were the ones against the Viacoms coming back together. And so now the two Vi... So they basically said before Moonbest was out, okay, we'll wait five years and then we'll talk about it again. But now that all of them are out, if they decide that they want to be together, then they can. They're just not like allowed to like debate on it. But if they decide, oh, yeah, no, we'll bring the two Viacoms together. So if they do that, then Paramount and Paramount and CBS and everybody will all be under one roof again and everybody will be happy and then they can do whatever they want with the continuity. But basically right now, that's kind of where they're at, mostly due to contractual obligations and whatnot. But there's plenty more Trek coming. You know, we got some more short Treks coming, some at that animated show. And then, like I said, Picard and there's... They're they've apparently already like basically knocked out the arc for uh, the section thirty one with Georgiou. So 
Looks like there's a lot of fun stuff coming down the pike. So we'll just <laughs> coming down the pike. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get to the new. Let's get to this episode. It'll be great. An obol for Sharon. You got a title explanation for me on this one? I do. So uh, it, on your way to hate, once you die and uh-huh. you're going to Hades, the place where the dead go, you would have to cross the river Styx. And to get across, because it was uh, one of the things that kept you from getting out of Hades was it was surrounded by these rivers, which were excruciatingly painful to experience. So you couldn't swim it. You can't swim out of Hades. So you can't just swim across the, the sticks to get to Hades. And so you need a boatman. And that's Sharon. And he, at one point, he was kind of out of control. He was, this was his gig. And he would, he would demand whatever he wanted to, to take you across. And when Hades, when the Olympians took over, and Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades are now in charge... Hades kind of lays down the law and says, no, no, it's, it's pretty much got to be the same for everyone. Or he sets up a standard, you know, rate schedule. And so you, you need to have an, an obel for Sharon if you want to get across the river Styx. Otherwise, your shade is destined to wander on the far side of the river. Can't get across, can't quite leave, you know, sad. So that's the meaning of, of our title. So it tells you somebody's going to die. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, we think it's going to be Saru. It's not Saru who dies. It ends up being the big planet. But that's all stuff we'll get into here in a minute. See if we can't decipher what the title of this really means. Because uh, it... Well, I'll get there. <clears throat> so, uh, the star date listed on uh, Captain Pike's console here is 1834. Now, this is interesting because no man, where no man has gone before is apparently 1312. Interesting. I don't know if they're ever going to be able to coincide how uh, all these different star dates work. It's going to be crazy. But hey, in this episode, we've got them retconning why there are no holograms on the original series for communication. So I guess anything is possible. So, right off at the beginning of this episode, we have. Uh, Number one coming on board, played by uh, Rebecca Romaine, who is almost unrecognizable as herself and uh, has a pretty good take on number one, I think. You know, it's interesting because in that first episode of The Cage, which, again, we have to just encourage everyone go back and watch because it's just it means so much to what's happening now. But, you know, we don't get a lot of her. But right. the little bit that we do get of her is that we know that she's in love with Pike. Right. So, interestingly, we don't see any of that in this episode, which is fine, because maybe that's just another weird things left over from the 60s where, you know, a woman always has to be in love with somebody or something. But we also have, like, apparently... I I also think that was, like, a a Roddenberry thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think we just have to remember that Roddenberry is all sexed up all the time. (laughs) That's right. I have forgotten that. We've We've been so long away now from the original series. I... Keep forgetting all these important points. <laughs> uh, hold on one sec. So I think Roddenberry is a man of his era, right? He's a man of the sexual revolution. Okay. You know, from let's say 1965 to 1975. You know, he's about. You know, he's he's 
it's because of guys like him and guys like Hugh Hefner and and other people who were saying, you know, the old rules need to be thrown away and we need to basically start anew, year zero. And, of course, you know, this is made possible by the pill. And uh, it's just a lot of experimentation. And I think the next 10 to 15 years, it basically lasts until the 80s, at which point the return of herpes and then AIDS kind of brings it all to a halt. Uh, you know, I, it's the kind of thing where I think the spirit of Roddenberry was alive and, and flourishing. And we kind of forget that because we're we're living on the other side of you know, all, all the things that happened after the 70s. Uh, we also find in this little conversation here that the name of the engineer is Louvier. Uh, this was previously established in a book, believe it or not, Desperate Hours, which I read. Uh, takes Part of it takes place on the Enterprise. And he says of Louvier that I don't think the Enterprise will ever have a chief engineer that loves his ship more. Hmm. <laughs> well, little does he know. I was also thinking maybe this is where Scott learned it, right? Like Scott comes in as like, you know, lieutenant commander or something. And he's yeah. like watching Louvier love it, love on the ship. He's like, I'm going to love this ship as much as he does. That was not a Or that's, that's what a chief engineer does. They love their ship. That's right. How could you be a chief engineer and not love your ship? But also, I think that, uh, so back to uh, number one here, I also think that she, her characterization is very consistent with what we saw in the cage, you know? She is very uh, sort of by the book and blah, blah, blah. But also, much like Amanda, we find that she has a, a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a, uh, now I've lost the word for it. Uh, I keep wanting to say dark side. That's not what I mean. Help me out here. Like, you know, she's got like, she has a little criminal in her or something like uh she goes behind the rules. Yeah, I mean, I think every big organization has to, ha you know, you've got to grease the wheels a little bit. Mm -hmm. So people are doing stuff that are, um, and, and, you know, for somebody like Pike, it really comes down to uh, the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law, right? Uh -huh. You know, so if you're just trying to help Spock and you stole his medical files, well, I'm going to give you a look. But at some point, I'm going to ask Michael Burnham to, you know, crack it open, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, it's not like, oh, my goodness, all these people are all a bunch of deviants. Court-martial them all. <laughs> Pike even says of her that, you know, she's got, she has a lot of favors out there. She, you seem to, people always seem to have favors going with her. So, you know, right. she, she greases the wheel in... in <clears throat> An appropriate way, I guess. Right, yeah. Well, one that's advancing the interests of Starfleet, the interests of the Federation. She's not screwing people over. It's not like, right. you know, uh, a lot of those kind of World War II stories always had some guy who was like selling contraband. and. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's not like that. It's, it's more like, uh, you know, I, I let so-and-so borrow a shuttle so they could you know, do something useful and positive. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, I wasn't really supposed to let him borrow a shuttle because the regulation state, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I, I knew the situation and I let it go. Uh -huh. 
So uh, she finds out the important information that uh, she knows the warp signature from the uh, shuttle that was stolen by Spock. So now we are one step closer to getting to Spock, right? Oh, so we should only be an episode away before we finally get to Spock. Except that we know by the ending teaser that we're going to have one more side episode away from our main our main arc where uh, we have to now go find Tilly. But uh, that's all right. Although they've done a good job of giving us two stories at once. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, that's my next note here, is that structurally, there's a lot going on in this episode, right? So we got our arc story going on with the Dots and the Red Angel and Spock. Uh, and it's while we're discussing this arc story that we find out that Saru is sick, right? Right. So, <clears throat> so then... Michael Burnham has three stories, right? And while she's only tangentially connected to the to the Tilly story. Yeah. At one point she's in there with them working on stuff. I mean it's right. really only one scene. But it's kind of like she's got her fingers in everything. Yeah. Well she is our hero. I mean that's yeah. who we're following, right? So And it makes sense that they like at some point boot her out of the let's call it the C story. Right? The the Tilly story. Yeah. Which really is probably more like a B story because she's um, it's been ongoing. We're, yeah. we're invested in it already. But Saru's story is connected to the A story. So... Anyway. Exactly. Well, so, and that's really cool how they're doing that. You know, like... But, the, but all, all... So what becomes, like, now what I'm... So we got our arc story, right? Which is the Dots and the Angel and Spock. But then we got our A story in this one, which is the big ball, right? The big right. giant ball we find. And the then... The Christopher Pike story, or the discovery story the ship the captain this is what yeah. they're working on exactly which feeds all the other stories because we hit the a story that feeds the b story which is saru he gets sick right. because of the thing and also it informs our c story because of everything that's happening down he knocks in out that door exactly exactly everything else that's happening well the spore room i guess it's not technically engineering but it knocks out that so that boom then next week next thing we know you know the fungi is free now at some point, and then they have to do all this stuff with Tilly. So, yeah, it's interesting how it just layers. It's just like how we've become more and more susceptible, especially, you know, from our original series episodes that we've been discussing, how just layered now all of these stories have become on right. just regular television. It's pretty great. And, and the episodes that we have, right, the, the ship is in jeopardy, and a crew member becomes mysteriously ill, and... First contact goes awry. These are classic Star Trek stories. Yeah. Right? But we've got three of them in one episode. Mm-hmm. So, pretty crazy. And on top of all of that, unlike the previous episode, which I didn't love, this all takes place on the ship, so each thing is informing the other. Where the other episode felt like everything was sort of disparate, this is all right. like lumped together and because it's all stuck on the ship it really feels like it's all part of one thing yeah so if we go back to like the next generation and, and see that they have an a story and a b story they're kind of like a seinfeld episode in which they only really come together at the very end yeah right so we might have picard and Riker on the bridge and the safety of the ship is in jeopardy as they encounter an alien probe well meanwhile uh wesley and data are, you know, exploring some bizarre experiment and talking about dating. 
And it's only at the end that Data and Wesley come up to the bridge and go, wait, we've got a protein particle, the you know, interfractor, which will destabilize the thing that's got the ship and, and oh, let's apply it immediately. Um, yep. Mr. Data, can you, you know, and then, oh, we're free, and we go on. And so that, that idea that Seinfeld, you see on every Seinfeld episode where the B story only shows up in the A story at the very end to resolve the problem. Yeah. That's not, that's not what's going on here. From the beginning to the end, this... This is driven by the A story, by that giant plasma yeah. ball or whatever it is. Uh, so uh, we get we get a briefing room scene here, like we have in uh, all those original series episodes. It's it's basically our command crew, right? All of our ship, all of our bridge. I mean, uh, commanders. So you know, Detmer's there, and uh, Linus, the new alien who had the cold in the in the episode one, is back. And we can now understand him thanks to the Universal Translator, even though it doesn't right. always pick up his clicks and stuff. So we need to talk about the Universal Translator a little bit because this is a different take on the Universal Translator than I think I've ever had before. Okay. This Universal Translator seems like it's somehow telepathic. You know, it's almost like the TARDIS in Doctor Who, where, you know, because they've been a part of the TARDIS, now they can go anywhere and listen to any alien language or any time and everybody understands them and vice versa. That seems to be what's happening in here. Whereas before, it seemed like what the Universal Translator just ran through the computer. You know, if you were talking to somebody on the big screen, it would translate it back and forth. It's not translating, which it seems to be doing here. Everybody's different language aboard the the bridge or on board the ship. Yeah, I, I think it was supposed to work that way in the original series. And the idea was that Nichelle Nichols may have been like speaking Swahili. And now, you know, they weren't consistent because nothing in the original series is consistent. <laughs> True. And so that episode where the probe erases her memory and there's some kind con- she like actually speaks Swahili. It's like, no, in English, you know. Yeah. Uh, so obviously that's inconsistent with that. But I think the idea in, lurking in the background was we've got all these people from, you know, like every different part of the, the, the earth. Because, you know, there was still the idea that, like, well, the Earth is now united, kind of overlooking the fact that we have a Vulcanian <laughs> and, you know, an Andorian and a Tellarite and whoever else, yeah. you know, might theoretically be on the ship. Well, it's just interesting, that's for sure. And the way it's used here is, I, I mean, I like it. It's just, it's just interesting how technically something like that would work. I guess I was always too concrete in my thinking of, like, it's just feeding it through the computer and the computer is using its... Universal Translator app. It's, and it's making Google it... Translate, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. So we should uh, mention that the, the first use is in the episode Metamorphosis. Okay, yeah. You could go back and uh, check out our take on that. Yep. Yeah, I know, actually, as I was talking about the Doctor Who thing, I was like, maybe we have talked about this before. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, we've done so many episodes, it's hard to say now. All right, let's see. Burnham's worried about seeing Spock again. We get, you know, some more of this, like, I don't know if I should talk to him or see him. But what's funny is, is that it, what this is really doing is really, like, again, setting up the, like, oh, gosh, what, whatever she did must have really been bad. So I can only hope that whatever it is is that bad and will live up to all of this hype of, like, you know, of, oh, my gosh, that was really horrible of you to do, Burnham. Yeah. It's, it's but it can't be good. so bad that we don't like Burnham anymore either, you know, so... It's hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
if we get a reveal of something awful and it's kind of like, oh my God, Burnham, what the, what the hell? But yeah. Spock is immediately like, no, no, it's okay. I've, t- I've totally forgiven you. I understand the situation. You know, what else could you have done? Yeah, 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 yeah. After all, you know, the... the it wasn't the, you uh, after all. It was the Red Angel. <laughs> right, yeah, but well, there's that too, right? Yeah. Or, or it, was, it was Dad. <laughs> Dad was always so difficult. I couldn't, I couldn't be good enough for, for a Sarek. Sarah always liked you best. So then it's at this time when our A story finally begins. We're pulled out of uh, warp by this giant red thing. I thought it was interesting that they chose red because at first I thought it was one of the red dots, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, one of of the signals or blah, blah, blah. So then when it turned out not to be that, I was like, well, I know what they're trying to do here. It's like supposed to go supernova or it's supposed to like blow up, whatever's supposed to happen. It's dying. But I was like, well, then why not use blue? Or, you know, I was thinking yellow, but I was like, no, not yellow, blue. Blue makes it look like it's really like running out of fuel. It's like, you know, when you're light, when you got a fire and you're just it's down to like your last yeah. little bit of log. Yeah, yeah, it's blue. So that would make more sense. But they made it red, so it's red. I was also thinking how sad it will be when Pike finally leaves, right? Because obviously he can't stay in the Discovery forever. I know. But it also it also made me realize that that's also one of the ways that the captain won't overshadow our right. lead character, right? right because right. it's like, oh, well, we keep turning over the captain, and then next season it'll be them getting used to the new captain, and maybe they don't get along. And so, oh boy, we really got some, you know, more story fodder for uh, for Burnham there. Yeah, so like... They've already kind of established who's supposed to be the new captain. And they were on their way to go get this new captain on Vulcan. And so whether we get that captain or whether it turns out, you know, now time has passed and that guy got reassigned because there was an available ship and he was an available captain. Or exactly what plays out. We'll have a, a, a new captain for the third season. And by that time, Saru and Burnham will be much stronger and so you could have a captain who's not necessarily a good fit without yeah. going so far as to make them a mere universe doppelganger. <laughs> right. And you can have some, let's, let's say, some Jellico stress, right? Oh. Where the new guy just wants to do things differently. And, and Saru and Burnham, because, you know, they've, well, they've got a huge amount of history. And I, I think they're over the mutiny and that kind of stuff yeah yeah although in 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 a few of the reviews that i read after after watching this episode that's one thing that they did say a lot was like how did these two become like this close where she's saying i love you all of a sudden it does seem seem to like kind of pop up out of nowhere but we do we do have to remember they have seven years of history previous yeah previous to discovery yeah Yeah, and yes you know, while there may have been more of a rivalrous nature going on in their in their past, mm-hmm. they've been through a lot, and they know each other really well. Yeah. So, given that they're not remaining rivals, given that they had to basically team up against Lorca once it was revealed what was going on with that business. Yeah. And I think Pike is doing a good job of kind of bringing everyone together. Mm-hmm. And creating a really kind of healthy environment where everyone's going to be like, oh, remember that year that we worked with Pike? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was great. That was so great. 
So uh, this is also where then where the universal translator goes nuts. Mm-hmm. But what we do have here also, and we've mentioned it, I think even in the last episode, was uh, when a high-powered computer or some other kind of power tries to overwhelms the computer, and then the computer and systems don't know how to handle it, and they're like, "Whoa!" So yeah. that's kind of what happens here. Also here, we also get a great example, and we've talked about this many, many, many times, but we'll keep beating it over the head, is that of why, you know, serial TV is better than episodic TV. And uh, this is why, because in the last episode, we found out why Saru learned 94 languages, right? Because he was trying to be better than everybody else. He felt the need, and he's telling Tilly that. And then in this episode... We get the payoff of like, oh, well, it's a good thing he knows those 94 languages, because otherwise this uh, this whole uh, bridge would be falling apart. Yeah, so one of, the, one of the things that we have here, like, so we can start thinking about the crew dynamics, right? Okay. So in, in the original series, we really have these three main characters, Spock, McCoy, and Kirk. And so much of the action revolves around them. But nevertheless you get a fundamental ensemble because Uhura has a space, right? Mm -hmm. If communications and languages are involved, then she's really good at that. And Mr. Scott is really a great engineer. And so you have these three characters, you know, the Doctor, Spock, and Kirk. And what what ends up happening is we're we're gonna borrow Uhura from the back, from the scenery, right? And she's gonna become important in this episode because there's a lot of communication going on. You know, or languages are important, or you know that kind of thing. And the same thing with Sulu; he's got his space, and Chekhov has his space. And I mean, you you could almost point to some things for some, you know, characters that are even further in the background, right? Yeah. And in Next Generation, you had a more fully functioning ensemble where all the characters were were ensemble all the time. It's not like some characters were stepping into and out of the background. And here, I think we're kind of back to a smaller, like, in every episode, you're going to see Stamets, Tilly, Burnham, Saru, and Pike. Yeah. Which is five. That's not, that's not tiny. It's not three. But there's a lot of characters in the background who, you know, like, we don't have a communications guy, and they gave this language thing to Saru, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of having that guy who's sitting over there at communications be the guy who knows 94 languages. He could have had an episode, right? This could have been his episode. And then, of course, we would have had to have forgotten about him because we can't have 94 characters. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they, had, that they gave that to Saru. Gave something Saru to do while he was going through his... Yeah. He's debilitated. Because he could have just laid in bed the whole episode. And we wouldn't have been like, oh, man, Saru should have been up and doing things. <laughs> He'd be like, what? <laughs> Dude's dying, but that's well, in a tight story, right? Yeah, because well, of course, we would have felt like this four storylines. And of course, ultimately, too, you know, what he's going through helps inform the solution for you know what's happening. Well, so it's funny that you actually mentioned that because uh, in the Den of, Den of Geek review, um, she says she feels like they're using the surrounding crew a lot more than they did in season one. Which right, even I yeah. feel that too. I mean, we got yeah. Linus. We met Linus now, you know, and we know Detmer's name. And mm-hmm. yeah, they're not just sitting in the background anymore. There, they have names. They get to talk every now and then. 
they do things. But it would be hard for us to keep track of all of them simultaneously. No, yeah, that's true. And so it makes sense that in the first season, they're, they're basically in the background. In the second season, they get names and they get stuff. And then they can slowly become like a regular part of the ensemble, but never fully yeah. by season three and so forth. Well, that girl who's at Ops, whose name I still don't know, who went with them down to uh, Eden, you know, I mean, she had an right. episode, she got to go on an away team, blah, 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 yeah. but I don't know her name. Yeah. I will, I will promise everybody I will learn her name for next time. <laughs> so it's funny because in this episode, those two, Detmer and her, didn't really get to do a lot. Detmer obviously got to, gets to, you know, fly the ship and take down shields and whatnot, so she gets yelled at a lot. Do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. But it's funny because her and that other character have a lot of, like, looking at each other. That's all they get to do. But they cut to them a lot, just, like, looking at each other, reacting to whatever's happening on, on the bridge. Uh, we get the return of Tig as uh, Jet Reno. Uh, that's pretty fun. She and uh, Stamets get off on the right foot totally. They love each other. Yeah, well, in a lot of ways, they occupy the same space, right? Uh-huh. They're both cranky engineers. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, so they learn to work together because they're plucky Starfleet uh, people. So there's always a lot of action, we find, you and I doing this show, that whenever there's a lot of action, we always find it hard to discuss. We, it's always like something we kind of like gloss over. So we get the whole scene where the electricity goes through and they save it. And, and they save and they ground the, the electricity so that it doesn't take over the entire ship. But what is interesting about Tilly's story, and again, this is trying to make everything cohesive, is that Tilly's story almost mirrors what's happening on the ship because right. they don't know outside whether or not the big red thing is benevolent or whether or not it's out to destroy them. Right. Much like the fungi Man. that's happening right now. You know, Stamets yeah. and Reno even ask each other that question. You know, well, he's halluc she's hallucinating him to make her, make her feel better, or is she hallucinating him so she's easier to take over? Like... Which one is it? We don't know. Dun, dun, dun. We still don't know, even at the end of this episode. Although it does seem like she's bad. We also get an original series uh, ticking clock here, right? Because Spock's ship is zooming away at maximum warp, and uh, they're about to lose him if they don't get this all figured out, so there's that. And this leaves Pike the only option of uh, possibly destroying the sphere, so we got that. It is also around this point, too, where Saru realizes that it's not first contact that the uh, Sphere is trying to make, but it's the final contact. As we know, Saru has been mostly dying in this episode, and we all love Saru, but we also... I don't know, did you feel like Saru was actually going to die, or did you figure he was going to be back by the end of the episode? Um, I felt like the story took his death seriously enough that uh -huh. I... I... I didn't feel like I needed to stop and reflect, right? Uh -huh. And the ads weren't enough that I had some fridge logic. It was like, well, they can't kill Saru. That doesn't make any sense. Because I was into it enough that I was, like, going with the story. I mean, obviously, now that we've watched it, you think back on it, you're like, well, they couldn't have killed him. He's a main character. Right, right, right. That would have been a weird thing to do for a guy. Like, a, you, you get a season and a half, and then you're gone. Although, like, like Giorgio, you might come back in a weird, you know, twist of Yeah, fate. yeah, yeah. Well, so I have this to say about the Saru story. Um, but this is about, like, 
because Jamie and I watch Walking Dead, and so they do this a lot in Walking Dead, where when some main character dies, they get like this entire episode where they're gonna die. You know what I mean? And you can feel them wrapping up storylines, and yeah. you know, when Carl dies, he knows he's dying for like two episodes, and so you know, he gets everybody gets to come to him and say goodbye, and. When Rick dies, you know, he's like talking to everybody at the beginning and they're all getting and they're all like all the feuds that he has. He's sort of wrapping up, you know, telling everybody this is the way it's got to be, you know, and all of this stuff. So I kind of am over the like, let's take an entire episode to kill people thing. So that's part of what I didn't love about this episode was it's just like all these scenes between Burnham and him. And I know what they're doing. Go ahead. Well, I think they're setting up. We're going to have a new Saru, right? That's yes, yes. Yeah, he's going to be a much stronger character. You know, a much more uh, kind of classic Star Trek. I'm confident. I'm strong. I'm ready to be yeah. down. Let's do the thing. And now we know why. And he's had an arc. He's had some development, which is which will be cool. It'll make him better. Well, yeah. So, and then on top of that, there's two other things, which is that. He has to make up officially with Burnham, right? They've never said the words, so let's say the words. We're going to know how we feel about me. You're going to be my brother, and uh, I'm going to yeah, I'm going to be your brother, and you're going to be my sister. Oh, and speaking of brother, which is thing number number three, we have to give her a reason that she changes her mind and decides she's going to get involved with the Spock situation. Right. So the again, great story writing. We're compacting everything into, but it's just it was just too much for me. I didn't like it. Now. With all of that said, where this takes us into from here with Saru's character, because this is the thing is we're going to wrap up Tilly's episode, Tilly's storyline probably in the next episode. I'm guessing right. it'll finally be over and done. So we got to get another like BC story going. So why not give it to Saru with this idea of what do we do about the Baul and his people? Right. Because right. I don't know if you remember, but this was my question from when we watched the short trek was... Who are the Ba'ul? Why are these people just walking to their death and saying like, oh, I guess this is it, blah, blah, blah. There's got to be something else going on here. And now, yay, we get to explore it. And I'm very excited about that. Yeah, in fact, that, that short track has proved so valuable. We, I mean, it's, it's been essential to what they've been doing with Saru so far this season. Yeah. That was critical. I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad we got that. So, of course, all of this stuff then makes it easy for uh, Burnham and Saru to take their like thought of like, because he talks about the diary, much like I was talking about at the beginning of this episode, he talks about his diary that he wants her to take on. And, you know, so that he, uh, if other Kelpians in the future, you know, become part of Starfleet, they, he wants them to understand. He wants them to understand his journey. So we got that. So then all of a sudden, like Burnham and Saru are like, wait, that's what this guy's doing with the help of Tilly right down in engineering. So they run back up and they sell their idea to Pike, who's more than happy to like, well, he's not at first, but eventually he's like, yes, we can do it. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Meanwhile, back down in, in engineering, I guess it is, just before drilling into her head with a drill, Stan yeah. asks Tilly what her favorite song is. <clears throat> And so uh, it's weird that they chose Space Oddity, right? Because uh-huh. it's not only weird that they choose, they, like, she chooses that song. She's like, he's like, what's your favorite song? And she chooses Space Oddity. Like, I mean, I know she's supposed to be an odd cat and everything, but that's also kind of weird. Uh, but also then why the writers chose that song. I don't have an answer for that. I've thought about it. I got nothing. 
But it's interesting that they chose Space Oddity. Yeah, it's like someone said, well, Tilly is a space oddity. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, all of a sudden, it's now it's too on the nose, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It, yeah. Uh, and they both know it. And, you know, of course, he's a musical theater guy, right? So, I, uh, like, you, did you see the little clip where they're doing the, uh, the, the thing song? from Rant? Yeah, yeah. The nerds. Yeah. Uh, so interesting here that we get Stamets, he gets to talk to May, and she basically blames Stamets for killing her people, I guess, or at least hurting them, or they were living harmoniously and then they weren't anymore. Um, and so Stamets thinks it's because of the jumps, right? Oh, it must be the jumps through the network that are causing this, causing whatever the problem is, right? Which we don't even know for sure right now. At first, I took that on face value and thought, oh, maybe that is it. But then I started thinking, like, no, I'm still opting with your thought that she doesn't know what Stamets, that there are two Stamets and what yeah, that even means. Yeah, there's a mirror Stamets, right. Right, yeah. exactly. Also, though, then I actually watched the, uh, the Ready Room this week on Facebook Live, and Anthony Rapp was on, and he said two interesting things, the first of which is, in regarding to this, that... Uh, there's more to come in this story. He basically right. said, "Like, well, you, we think right now that that's the story, but maybe more light well, is shed on this later. I think what they're slowly going to be doing, and it doesn't have to be all done with, with May, but they kind of have to explain why we don't use the spore drive in the future. Yeah, that's true. And so I think what, one of the things they're going to do is they're going to make it be like, oh, the, store, the spore drive was actually kind of a mess. Yeah. Now, uh, so Stamets gives this argument about what's wrong with dilithium and warp, right? Yeah. And at some point, I think he's going to come to the conclusion that dilithium and warp is, for all of its flaws, cleaner and less harmful yeah. than what was going on in the mycelial network because, because of things he will learn. And maybe because of things that Mirror Stamets did as well, yeah. right? But he's going he's gonna to decide... Whether it was mere Stamets' fault or not, this space has to be protected and off limits. And using, you know, having thousands of of starships using this as a propulsion system, it, it, there's no way that we're going to keep this pristine or clean or even tolerable. Whereas warp isn't, to our knowledge, you know, we get some stuff at the very end of Next Generation that suggests that maybe there's a problem. Although they then ignore that going into the future. Yep. That uh, that that warp is basically a clean technology, even though the mining of dilithium may not be clean, and people fight over stuff. People fight over stuff all the time, anyway. It's yeah. not like people wouldn't fight over spores if or tardigrades. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. Uh, oh, we lost our tardigrade. Quick, we gotta you know board that ship, steal theirs, and then we'll keep going. Well, we get that in that Tilly episode, too, the short trek where that person comes from the planet with the mining and stuff going on. You know, as far in the future as they are, what are, they, are they supposed to be, what, 300 years in the future? 200 years in the future. 200, yeah. So it's kind of like us picking, like, an 18th century musical piece Oh, what's your favorite song? Well, there's this uh, Bach operetta, you know. Or, you know, I, you pick something from, 
but like the Messiah, right? Mm-hmm. Which we all know, but you know, few people are gonna are gonna pick. Well, I like uh, this thing from the Messiah as my favorite song, and then they, Hallelujah! <laughs> they all do it together, and then I drill into your head. The severe, the sphere then completes its final act. The transmission saves the disco so that it can pass on their story, and then sort of collapses. And then everyone on the bridge stands. Step too far, folks. That was a step too far for me. So then we get this really long scene between Burnham and Saru where they're saying goodbye. He wants her to cut out her threat ganglia, which obviously she's not really cool to. But then his threat ganglia falls out and he now feels more powerful. So we've talked about the end of this and uh, how cool that is. But uh, yeah, that scene was long. Although I, I think the acting was really good. Yes. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I felt like it was a powerful scene and, you know, worth doing. Although I can certainly understand that if you've been bathing in those kinds of scenes because you've been watching other kinds of shows in which this is like, oh, my goodness, the 84th time we've lost a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, Walking Dead is a show known for killing off its characters. Yeah. Because it's an, ap- you know, it's an apocalypse show, right? Yeah. So, you know, I could certainly appreciate that using those particular tropes and, and borrowing that kind of stuff is obviously going to be, again, really. But I thought it was well done. And so for someone who's not enmeshed in the Walking Dead stuff, I, I enjoyed it. Well, that's good. I, thought, I thought it was powerful and well done. Um... Well, then we pretty much just get the end where we get that scene between uh, uh, Reno and Stamets where they're hallucinating and each other's heads deform for a little bit and then they sell themselves. But then we lose Tilly. And oh my gosh, the episode ends. Dun, dun, dun. That was it. It was a quick ending, too. It was just like... So, uh, as I said, uh, Den of Geek loved this episode. Vulture 2 loved this episode, saying that uh, the USS Discovery is finally coming into its own as a science vessel. Mm-hmm. But almost every episode to date has flown in the face of that designation with all of its dimension jumping and Klingon battling. Until now, it's easy to forget that this is uh, a ship full of absolute nerds. <laughs> and then this is the best part. Uh, the writer goes on to say, <clears throat> if the Enterprise and Voyager were Gryffindors, then Discovery is Ravenclaw. <laughs> I thought that was great. And then I brought that up to Jamie later, and she's like, well, then who's Slytherin? And I'm like, oh, Slytherin. That's got to be uh, Georgiou's uh, Section 31 ship. They're the Slytherin yeah. of the uh, galaxy. Although the, the mere universe, I think, is probably all Slytherin, right? Yeah, yeah. The, 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 they're all Slytherin. Yeah, exactly. Vulture uh, also said this. There were, I'll admit, two points here that were hard to believe in the context of such a brilliant crew. I'm only going to read one of them, though. And uh, one of them is that genius xenobiologist Burnham wouldn't immediately realize that the translator hacking and UV light bursts uh, that only Saru can see, sure, but he complains quite loudly about many times were all attempts to communicate. It's like, okay, that's a fair point. I'm willing to overlook it, but that's a fair point. Well, I mean, one of the reasons I think you'd kind of overlook that is that she is involved in all three plots. Right, yeah. 
you know, it's not like she gets to sit down and think about any one of them for too long before she's pulled on to something else. And it would hard it would be it would be bizarre if in addition to all the things that she was doing, oh we gotta save Tilly, Saru, you're dying, the ship is in jeopardy, what's going on? Let's figure it out. Oh, by the way, I've solved the mystery to the ship. You'd be like, That's some incredible multitasking. <laughs> so giving yeah. that to Saru, I thought, made gave Saru enough to do without too much. Plus he he was struggling through it and that gave his his, yeah. as opposed to like we keep going and he's laying in bed going, oh, I'm so sick, oh, I'm so sick, which wouldn't be exciting. Yes, no, Instead, he was doing something exciting and then like giving you a sense of how difficult it was because he was struggling through it. Way better than laying in bed. Even New with York. those things above him going, boop, boop, right. The New York Times did not like this episode. They thought, uh, I guess much like me, that uh, Saru's death was too much for someone who didn't end up dying. He says, uh, it also ruins uh, Star Trek II, where death actually meant something, and our lead character learned something from it, Kirk. Um, and I guess she sort of does. She learns, like, you know, go be with your brother, learn your brother. Uh, well, but he also and I think, I think Saru learned something here, right? Uh-huh. I think we're I think we're going to get a transformation. In a sense, we are getting a death and rebirth, right? But we're getting a metaphorical one. Yeah. And and of course, we don't know how much they're going to change Saru. But if the stuff they've told us, I now feel bold. I now feel strong. I'm going to go back to my planet and and violate the Prime Directive. Mm-hmm, I you know yeah. this is a different guy. That's true. That's true. Also, too, there's a quick article uh, from Den of Geek telling us about some of the Easter eggs, most of which we've already mentioned already, which I felt good for, you know, getting on our own. Good for us. But here's a couple of things. The uh, Tau city and city and language, which uh, Detmer says her controls has turned into. Obviously, we know Tau Seti the most from uh, Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan, right? Seti Alpha 5. Uh, but it's also mentioned in the original series episode, Whom Gods Destroy. It is also mentioned in the Next Generation episode, Conspiracy, the Voyager episode, Coda, the Enterprise episode, uh, In Amir Darkly. He goes on to point out that uh, nobody actually goes to Tau Ceti <laughs> in any version, but they do seem to talk about it a lot. Uh, so that was the last bit there. Uh, my last note is, is uh, I wonder if the Enterprise will come back in a moment of need and save the disco at some point. Like, if we're going to get the Enterprise, like, charging in to save the day with, uh, you know, number one at the helm. Oh, yeah, that'd Fire. be fantastic. Yeah, wouldn't that be cool? And, of course, you know, that's what we get at the end of Star Trek VI, right? Is right, yeah. Sulu, because, you know, Sulu gets hinted at throughout the movie, right? Yep. It's, it's he who, get, who first, you know, senses the explosion. Uh, I, I'm reading the location of Praxis, but... Not the existence of Praxis. <laughs> you know, and we get that. We get throughout the whole thing. He's monitoring channels. He's there. Then he shows up at the end heroically like the cavalry yeah. to save the day. Love it. Let's give him something else to shoot at. Yep. And, uh, yeah, the, I think... Apart. And fly her apart! Yeah, I think, I think number one could do some amazing things with uh, yeah. showing up in the last episode when... when the discovery's kind of exhausted. Like, you know, we did this, we did that, we did that, we did the other thing, and hey, we out of the, we only tricks left. Right? We're out of tricks, and then boom! Oh, by the way, the Enterprise is fixed, and here we are. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
reminding everyone why people in the Discovery Universe go, well, if you're lucky, you can get an appointment on the uh, on a Constitution class ship. <laughs> that would be some sweet business. <laughs> Woo! Awesome. Well, that uh, wraps up all my notes. Anything else we didn't get to, sir, that you want to talk about? No, I think we hit it. I think we did, too. Again, it's a lot of action going on in this episode, so you suddenly a huge swaths of the episode have passed, and you're like, oh, okay. Well, there it goes. But I uh, didn't mind. You know, hey, we still did an hour. I'm happy. You know, People listening, hopefully they're happy. They've enjoyed every bit of what we've been talking about. Uh, hey! Go find us uh, elsewhere if you want to. We're on the iTunes and Apple Podcasts. We're on uh, Stitcher. We are. Uh, we're, we're, I'm on Facebook. We're always talking about it on Facebook. Hey, you know, I got the new episode. Here's a fun little thing, uh, video I linked to. Like I threw the Jay Frakes up one up there recently. Uh, also, Instagram. I got every once in a while. I'll throw up a little thing there. Uh, I recently posted the two Amandas side by side, so you can look at them and see what you think. And. Uh, They'll also let you know when we're dropping a new episode. So that's also a great place to go. Well, that's all I got to say. My name is Matt saying goodbye. And as always from Houston, say goodbye, Ken. Peace and long life. There we go. And we will see everybody next week.